Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is April the 10th, 2020, uh, and here we are um, well into this uh, shutdown of America because of the pandemic that has swept around the world, uh, killed far too many people, sickened far too many people, um, and something that could have been perhaps prevented, at least in terms of magnitude. If only, if only, the government of China had warned the world about what was going on. Uh, My dad used to say that if is the smallest big word in the English language, and there's a Yiddish expression that says if my grandmother uh, was differently constructed, she would have been my grandfather, if. The problem is that China has a history of deceptive, malevolent conduct. They are our adversary. They've played us like a fiddle for decades, aided and abetted by our political elite. Finally, we have a president in the White House who has said enough, and boy, is he being attacked for it. And that's not to say that everything that Donald Trump does is always right or that I agree with everything he does or says. That's nonsense. But the irrational attacks that he has been subjected to ever since he announced his desire to become president uh, are unfathomable. And uh, that's something that I want to discuss today, along with what we need to learn from the uh, pandemic that, as I say, has killed far too many people and has uh, really shut down the world. Those of you familiar with the program know that my primary concern is national security, border security, the enforcement of the immigration laws, and the way that we combat the crime, terrorism, and those threats uh, to innocent lives. Well, we are certainly in a battle to save innocent lives. And um, so this is what I would love to be able to discuss with you this evening, turn my attention and our attention to the current state of affairs with the corona outbreak. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This should really be a learning lesson for humanity. Suddenly, people doing what were thought of as mundane jobs aren't so mundane anymore. The delivery people, the the employees of stores that are stocking the shelves, the folks who deliver the food to people who cannot come out uh, because of risks to their health, to their survivals. Uh, Amazing. My dad taught me when I was growing up that there's no unimportant job that anybody who works for a living to earn an honest buck better get our respect. I remember uh, when I was a youngster, I was a teenager, and uh, my dad was a construction worker, a plumber. And by the way, I I can't tell you how many times I was upset and frustrated that I had friends whose parents owned businesses or their father was a doctor or their mother was a, a lawyer or whatever would rib the hell out of me because my dad was a plumber. And you could imagine the scatological humor, so-called, that went along with it. 
And my dad did construction. He worked on the World's Fair back in 1964-1965. He worked on the aircraft hangars at Kennedy International Airport. He worked on houses and office buildings here in New York City, in Brooklyn and in Queens. And I was very proud of his ability. Tradesmen, if you know anything about me and my program and positions I've taken, to me, tradesmen are at the foundation of our society. Without buildings, we'd be sitting in empty fields. Doctors would certainly not be able to practice medicine under a tree. And without the technicians and the assembly line workers and the scientists and engineers, they wouldn't have any instruments, whether it's CAT scans, MRIs, not even a stethoscope or a thermometer. We live in a society that's kind of like an orchestra. And in this grand orchestra that we call America, everyone has an instrument to play. And who's to say that the uh, the trumpet player is more or less important than the drummer or than the uh, person who plays the violin? We have an instrument to play. And we should be valuing the contributions of each and every member of our society to this grand tapestry that is America. But I remember going with my dad to work one day. He was working on the TWA hangar, Trans World Airways. Boy, there's a company that went out of business in part because of the deregulation of the Reagan administration. I, you know, I, I call them as I see them. Lots of airlines went bankrupt. The Pan Am, TWA, National Airlines, Eastern Airlines, uh, unbelievable. But my dad was going to work on the hangars. I've always been... Um, really keen on aviation. My original plan was to be an aerospace engineer. I had the privilege of meeting some of the astronauts. I did a little single engine flying as a kid. And I went with my dad to work, and he said, you know, Mike, before we go to the airport, let's grab some breakfast. He went to a greasy spoon diner. It was pouring outside, and there was a long line of people waiting to get into the restaurant. The owner of the restaurant, having sympathy and compassion for those of us getting drenched led us into the restaurant, and they seated us at tables that had yet to be cleaned. The busboy kept passing by, and I was getting frustrated. I was hungry. I was annoyed. And I waved at the busboy at one point and yelled out, hey, you. And my dad grabbed my arm and squeezed it and said, who in the world is hey, you? And I said, Dad, he's only a busboy. He said, what do you mean only? He's entitled to as much respect as a doctor. I said, I don't get it. He said, of course you don't get it. It's obvious you don't get it. So I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. He said, a bus, a doctor, let's start with that, makes a lot of money. They're entitled to it. They put in a lot of money, a lot of talent, a lot of time, blood, sweat, and tears into being good doctors. And if they are good doctors, they do God's work. They save lives. They eliminate suffering. They get people out of wheelchairs so they can walk. They do all sorts of amazing things. Boy, that was back in the 60s. If only my parents could see what medicine uh, can do today. Amazing stuff. But he said they're well paid. The guy probably drives around in a Caddy or a Lincoln. There were no Lexus or BMWs here in the United States. The big deals in America back then in the 60s, Caddies and Lincolns. And he said everyone fawns all over them and they're treated like royalty. But again, he said they're entitled. If they're good at what they do, think of the importance of their work. But they are rewarded. He said, now that busboy that you just yelled at works for very little money. Not only doesn't he drive a Caddy or a Lincoln, he probably doesn't own any car and probably walks to work to save the bus fare, which back then was all the 15 cents. And he said, and he's going about his business quietly, pleasantly, 
cleaning up the mess that people make shoveling food down their throats to you soon to be one of them as soon as the food gets here. He said, so he's doing a job that you wouldn't want to do, earning money that you wouldn't accept, and yet you think you have the right to call them, hey, you? He said he's earning an honest living. He's doing an important job because if he doesn't clean the table, we don't get to eat. And he said, by the way, and he got very serious, he said to me, Mike, you know that guy's name. I said, Dad, how in the world could I know his name? He said, Michael, that guy's name is Sir. You know, folks, I felt about three inches tall. Boy, did I feel foolish. And boy, was my dad right. And I've taught that lesson to my children. I hope I'm one-tenth the parent to my kids that my parents were to me. And suddenly, people are gaining new respect for the delivery people, for the clerk in the store, certainly for doctors and nurses and the first responders. We're a nation of great people. It has nothing to do with race or religion, ethnicity. Um, We share so much. Uh, I happen to be Jewish. The Last Supper was a Passover Seder. It's, a, it's interesting that this year, Passover and Easter fall at the same time. I wish all of you who observe either holiday uh, very good holidays. Certainly under circumstances we couldn't have predicted, circumstances we wish didn't exist. But I hope for all of you that you have a happy Easter and a, and a good Passover. And, and we really need to focus as human beings, as Americans, on the things that make us similar. I'm tired of the vitriolic nonsense coming out of these political buffoons. Their egos, their lack of integrity have gotten us into a mess. We've known for the longest time that we could be attacked by terrorists wielding not airplanes, not knives, not guns, but microbes, pathogens, chemicals, nuclear material. We worry about dirty bombs. But yet somehow the big focus always comes back to TSA. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, it was immigration failures that enabled the terrorists to enter the United States and carry out their attacks, immigration failures. Not just on 9-11, but repeatedly. The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, found that in the decade leading up to 9-11, some 94 terrorists were arrested and identified in the United States and more than three-quarters of them um, used immigration fraud as a means of entering our country and embedding themselves. I would argue they all did, because anybody who came through an airport, and just about all of them did with one or two exceptions, had to have lied to the inspector at the port of entry, a job I did for four years. That's a crime. Almost never prosecuted, but they committed fraud. I doubt any of them said to the inspector, my goal in coming to America is to use an airliner with passengers on board as a cruise missile to kill lots of people. They probably claimed political asylum or said they were here for legitimate purposes. Not probably, but they did. And so immigration was the critical issue. We allowed them into our houses, and they did a number on us, and we do it all the time. And if you dare to suggest to the lunatic left, which is what the Democratic Party has become, It hurts me to say it. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These aren't Democrats. If you dare suggest we need to enforce the immigration laws, you would be attacked. You'd be called a xenophobe, a racist, a hater, a bigot, a nativist. Well, maybe nativist is a term I could really accept. 
because if you look up nativist, it simply means that you want to put the the thoughts and the concerns of those who are already here ahead of those who come afterwards. And if we're talking about illegal aliens, they shouldn't be here in the first place. You know, Chuck Schumer is the guy that wanted a few years ago to make a federal law that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year federal felony because it's dangerous. It certainly is. But yet Schumer and his playmates, disgusting and despicable and immoral as they are, make the point that if you come to America undocumented, well, now you're entitled to a pass to citizenship. There's no such thing as undocumented, and there's no such thing as being politically correct. I want everybody to make me a promise or make yourself a promise. You will never again use the word political correctness. It's a lie. This is Orwellian newspeak. When you say that we're being politically correct, it sounds like we're being wusses, we're being polite, we're being considerate, we're being manipulated, we're being lied to. Please read 1984. You will understand what is happening. If you want to know if someone is lying, and as an agent, I was always very concerned with whether or not I was being lied to when I was questioning people, look to see if they change the language. I use the term alien. Nothing wrong with it. It's a legal term under the Immigration Act. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? There is none. But they want, the open borders folks, starting with Jimmy Carter, want us to use the word immigrant. Why? Because then they could twist the conversation and make the fake accusations. Oh, we're a nation of immigrants. You don't like immigrants. There's something wrong with you. So let me give you some clarity. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. Okay? So we're being lied to. You have all these people in the Democratic Party saying, let's have a massive amnesty program. By the way, you got Republicans. Lindsey Graham, one of them, let's have a massive amnesty program. I've spoken about it before, but I want to make the point now before I move on to the nexus between immigration and terrorism, because I want you to understand something. I've said it before, but I will say it as many times as I can until people wake up to the reality about what comprehensive immigration reform would do to America. And I don't care where the aliens would come from. It's about limited resources. You can only get so many people on an airplane. You can only invite so many people over for pizza, depending on your budget. And when you walk into a restaurant or a bar or a bowling alley, they always hang a sign at the entranceway that tells you how many people may lawfully enter that building at one time because of concerns of the fire commissioner, that there's not enough exits. You couldn't move people out quickly enough. I don't know if you know it, but when they design airplanes, the airplane manufacturer has to demonstrate that they can evacuate the airplane within, I believe, two minutes. Two minutes. So they have to have enough exits. They have to presume some of the exits will be blocked. And, and they actually have to certify that the airplane isn't overloaded. There aren't too many people on the plane where they can't get them out in time if the plane should make a hard landing because there's always the danger of fire. So it's a very serious testing. They, they, they have the emergency slides come out, and they have all their employees, whoever they can get, make believe they're passengers, and zip down those, those inflatable uh, ramps because it's about not overloading the plane to the point where it can't be safely evacuated. If you think back to the Titanic, it hit an iceberg, and there was a tremendous loss of life. There's been books about it and movies about it. 
uh, it's taken on mythical proportions. It was such a human tragedy on such an incredible scale. Well, afterwards, an investigation showed something that was startling. There were only lifeboats for roughly half of the people on the boat. Think about that. And then the cranes on which those boats were to be swung over the side didn't have the capacity to move lifeboats that were fully populated, that were loaded with people. So they could only put a few people in the lifeboats. Then they were supposed to lower them over the sides, and then passengers were supposed to climb into the lifeboats once the lifeboats were in the water. Most of the lifeboats pulled away from the ship with just a few people on it. Bad planning, bad resources, lousy cranes, and, and an abject lack of lifeboats. People died. The world is at an iceberg today. It's called the China virus, the coronavirus. Call it what you will. And we're floundering around trying to keep our heads above water, trying to survive. Most of us that are able to are trying to survive by staying home. I haven't been out of my house in a couple of weeks except to, to go down to my basement, which requires going out of the house to go to the basement to, to put water in the boiler so we have some uh, heat because it's still kind of chilly. It was quite cold in New York this morning, almost felt like winter instead of uh, spring. So here we are, huddled in our houses, um, trying to stay safe and hoping that we won't contract this terrible disease. And the lifeboats today, well, it's easy. The ventilators, the medications, the hospitals, those are the lifeboats. Those are the lifeboats. And to their credit, the Trump administration built field hospitals, turned the Jacob Javits Center into the biggest hospital in the United States in a matter of days. I mean, you want to talk about the can-do spirit, ladies and gentlemen. You think about our men and women in the armed forces. You give the Army Corps of Engineers a task, and by God, they'll do it. End of story. We're coming up on the anniversary of Apollo 13. Uh, think of that. They, those astronauts had this catastrophic explosion. We brought them home alive. I had the privilege of meeting Jim Lovell and on another occasion, Gene Kranz. That's American ingenuity. Can do. We've become the can't do country with a BS explanation or excuse. And suddenly you have a president who says we're going to do something about how we got into this mess. We're going to try to deal with the disaster now that it's happened. But think about it. We have overloaded hospitals in New York, Elmhurst Hospital. Why is it overloaded? Well, according to the media, almost all the people waiting online to get into the hospital were here illegally. So you have an overwhelmed hospital, and I believe that a couple of the members of the medical staff have died, succumbed to the coronavirus. And that hospital was packed to the rafters primarily because there's a huge number of illegal aliens living in that community. And illegal aliens are treated like trash. They are jammed into little apartments because they don't make much money. They're here to send money home, which damages our economy. But I don't blame those illegal aliens. They're desperate. Imagine if you could go to Canada and, and, and make 10 times your normal paycheck for doing a job and you had no job back here in the United States. And imagine that the mayor of Toronto or Montreal or one of those cities in Canada would say, look, you're not supposed to run the border, but if you do, we'll do everything possible to help you. Why wouldn't you run the border if you're that, that desperate, knowing full well that in one year you can make more money in Canada than you could one, in one year in the United States? 
and 10 years rather in the United States. One year in Canada equals, let's say, 10 years, maybe even more. Of course, that's not the case. Canada and the U.S. have roughly the same standard of living. But when you go to Mexico, you're going from the first world to the third world. That's why there's so much pressure on that border. And it was President Trump who finally is getting the wall built, had lots of resistance from the Democrats and the Republicans. It didn't happen when the Republicans controlled the House. But he's getting it done. He got the Mexican government to put over 20,000 soldiers on that border to help the Border Patrol stop illegal immigration. And that's a good thing because we have a legal immigration system that's very generous. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year, tens of millions of non-immigrants, temporary visitors. But the idea of allowing America to be flooded with illegal aliens with no idea about whether or not any of these people have dangerous communicable diseases, Ellis Island was a quarantine station. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, uh, that's a section of law that deals with uh, who is supposed to be excluded from the United States. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. Look it up. It's part of the Immigration and Nationality Act. And it starts off with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. We've always been concerned about the public health aspects of people coming to America. It's common sense. It's rational. By the way, I have to make the point that for all the breastfeeding by the left and the globalists that we shouldn't use the word alien, the term DREAM Act is really an acronym for development, relief, and education of alien minors, alien minors. So when the word is necessary for the narrative, then the word becomes fully acceptable, but only when it coincides with their narrative. That's when you know people are lying. Don't you dare use the word alien. We'll tell you when it's acceptable. That's called censorship. Totalitarians censor language. And I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. I hope everybody will go and check it out. It was published last week. It's not hot off the press. It's only warm, okay? It's only warm off the press. But my article was Welcome to the PC Era. Uh, not PC as a politically correct, but PC as in post-coronavirus era. And, and then my subtitle was Lessons That Must Be Learned. And when you read my article, you're going to be shocked, I think, to find out that the Department of Education is doing an investigation into the fact that universities in the United States have been accepting billions of dollars from foreign governments and not reporting it, including China, Saudi Arabia, um, Qatar, possibly Russia, Iran. Why are they getting all this money? You think these countries that are not our friends are doing something good for Americans? Don't hold your breath. China does it so they can control the faculty and the curriculum and turn American learning institutions into places where they can commit espionage and places where they can spew propaganda and twist the minds of the kids that are going to school, painting a very misleading and false picture about what China really is, just as they did with the coronavirus. What an outrage. And when Chinese students come to the United States, they're coerced by the Chinese government, which is a dictatorship. It's a totalitarian government, even though Mike Bloomberg couldn't dare bring himself to say it, even when he was being interviewed by NPR. Mini Mike became even minier. And then, of course, we, we saw how Elizabeth Warren uh, beat the snot out of him, turning him into her personal pinata. And he, he just keeps shriveling up. He keeps getting smaller and smaller. 
that his sense of morality is invisible. The guy that's worth over $60 billion, uh, I, I guess because of business dealings with China, doesn't have the integrity or the balls or the chutzpah to stand up and say, yeah, it's a dictatorship. Oh, no, they have a constituency. Oh, no, they answer to their people. Really? How many Chinese citizens are, are in gulags or being in prison or being held in uh, basically concentration camps? And you've got all of our American politicians making all these deals with China. Why? You want to worry about Russian collusion? Look at Chinese collusion, collusion with our universities. I, I want to read something to you. This comes out of my article, but I hope after you listen to my program, you'll go online to frontpagemag.com and check out the article. Go to my website, michaelcutler.net, and you will see it. But this came from a Department of uh, Education press release that was issued February the 12th of this year. Let me read this to you. Since July, the Department, that is the Department of Education, has uncovered more than $6 billion, $6 billion in unreported foreign gifts from countries including Qatar, China, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. It went on and said the department is also concerned that Harvard University may lack appropriate institutional controls over foreign money and has failed to report fully all foreign gifts and contracts as required by law. This comes after Dr. Charles Lieber, Charles Lieber, chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department, was indicted for lying about his involvement with the Chinese government's Thousand Talents plan and admitted and admitting that Harvard lacks sorry, lacks adequate institutional controls for effective oversight and tracking of very large donations. It's alleged that Dr. Lieber worked with the Chinese scientists and Hunan at their laboratories. Interesting, isn't it? This just happened. And here we go. I'm not saying that you're to draw any conclusions that he was involved with the virus or anything like that. But the point of the matter is China is buying, allegedly, our brightest minds in America academia. Think about how dangerous that is. The Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations described foreign spending on U.S. schools as, quote, a black hole because colleges and universities routinely fail to comply with the law and report foreign money that can come with strings attached that might compromise academic freedom. It just might, don't you think? Additional information on the department section uh, actions, and so listen to this now. Since July 1st, 2019, the department's enforcement efforts have triggered the reporting of approximately $6.5 billion of previously undisclosed foreign money. That's what was undisclosed. How much more money has gone to the universities that might have been disclosed? The money is just pouring in, folks. They're buying whatever they want in academia. We always think universities, oh, they're, they're you know, clean as fresh fallen snow. Maybe not. Maybe not. And um, 10 schools, now listen to this, including Cornell University, Yale University, the University of Colorado Boulder, University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, the University of Chicago, the University of Pennsylvania, Boston University, Texas A&M University, and Carnegie Mellon University reported approximately $3.6 billion in previously unreported foreign gifts. Unbelievable. 
The largest colleges and universities are multi-billion dollar multinational enterprises using opaque foundations, foreign campuses, and other sophisticated legal structures to generate revenue that is intermingled with domestic sources of funding from tuition grants and the like. These colleges and universities actively solicit foreign governments, corporations, and nationals for funds, although some donors are known to be hostile to the United States and may be seeking to project soft power, steal sensitive and proprietary research and development data and other intellectual property, and spread propaganda benefiting the foreign governments. This is going on right now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I, I want you to understand how dangerous this is. So to make this point as crystal clear as I know how, I, I tend to monitor uh, indictments and, and, and that sort of thing posted on the Justice Department website. I recommend you do that. It's eye-opening to see how many times we're dealing with cases involving espionage and so forth that you're never going to hear about in the news. They shove it under the table. Very often terrorists who carry out attacks in the United States, think about Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, when he set off that SUV in 2010. Fortunately, it didn't go kaboom. It went fizzle, fizzle. Nobody killed or injured, but it could have been deadly. And there it was, crossroads of the world, Times Square. You can barely walk by on the sidewalk. It's so densely populated. And this guy came here from Pakistan, Faisal Shahzad. And yet the media, even the New York City police commissioner at the time, described him as a homegrown terrorist. Why? Well, don't let people realize that terrorists come here from other countries. We'll call them homegrown. And what was the justification? Mr. Homegrown came here when he was roughly 20 years of age, hardly homegrown. They didn't ask whose home he was grown in. But he ultimately became a United States citizen and within a year of acquiring citizenship tried to blow us up. Maybe if they did a better job of vetting people at Citizenship and Immigration Services, we could prevent this kind of stuff from happening. But we don't have the resources. And so we get back to the fact that you have people that want to have a massive comprehensive immigration reform program to legalize what they describe as 11 million illegal aliens. In reality, well, the universities um, like MIT, like uh, Yale, Estimate there's at least double that number. I would argue maybe 30 million. So you think, well, we'll legalize 30 million. They're already here. We're, you know, we're already dealing with them. Nonsense. Don't buy that lie. I'll tell you why. First of all, there's no way to interview these people. Just no way. I mean, they got a couple hundred employees that could do the interviews, maybe a couple thousand if we get optimistic. And we're talking about tens of millions. Okay, an interview should last, what, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours? Do the math. Do the math. You don't have the resources. It would take a couple thousand years to do all the interviews. We'd all be dead by then. Can't interview them. Field investigations, forget that. That's out the window. Maybe one or two or three, it'll look good. It's not happening. We have no capacity. What's to prevent an alien from coming to the United States next week and claiming that he's been here for the last 15 years? No interview, no field investigation. By the way, you can get rid of the case as an adjudicator in 15 minutes if you approve it. If you deny it, <clears throat> this could take you days or longer. If the pressure is on to clear the backlog, that means get out that, that, that approval stamp 
and whack at those papers as fast as you can. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. DACA, by the way, had something like a 95% approval rate. Wonder how that happened. No resources to interview, no resources for field investigations. What do you do with the damn thing? Approve it. Approve it. Just go right down the line. By the way, immigration fraud, I go back to this again, number one method of entry and embedding for terrorists. My first fraud investigation caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel back in 1976. Thankfully, the Israelis working with us, the FBI, we all worked on this. The attack was averted about a week before it was to go down. The Israelis grabbed six co-conspirators. This isn't a minor issue. Not a minor issue. But it goes beyond that. Because what no one talks about, this is the dirty little secret, folks. And think about how overwhelmed our systems are now. Our hospitals, schools, infrastructure. How many communities have a shortage of water? Okay. Do you know how many green cards would be issued if, let's say, there were 30,000 aliens participating in the amnesty? By the way, hint, this is not the equivalent of asking what is the color of George Washington's white horse because there's a little component to this program that nobody talks about. Shh, it's quiet. Don't let anybody remember this. If 30 million aliens applied for lawful status, they would, and when they're granted lawful status, and the great majority will be, because we don't have the ability to say no. And you, you can't just say no. If you're going to say no, you better be able to back it up. How the hell do you back it up? You're going to have to approve the applications when it's all over with. By the way, Reagan's amnesty was supposed to involve a million. It wound up involving somewhere north of three and a half million. Okay. But what you don't realize is every one of those aliens would immediately have the absolute right to bring in each and every single one of their minor children and their spouses. If they're not here, how many is that? Well, typically third world families have lots and lots of children, eight, nine, ten kids, not unheard of. But some of these people might not be married and some of them may have already brought their children here. Who knows? I'm going to be an optimist. Let's say, on average, each alien that gets lawful status will bring in two children. Only two. That's a small number. No big deal. Two times 30 million. Now it's a big deal, isn't it? Because two times 30 million is 60 million school-aged children who would immediately, and I mean within a year, all come to the United States of America overnight. What would the schools do? The Congressional Budget Office has made it clear that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who are not English proficient. Some of them may be English proficient, but I guarantee you many of them won't be. What does that do to us? And many of these people will bring their spouses. Folks, comprehensive immigration reform to answer the question would likely result in well over 100 million aliens being granted lawful immigrant status in the United States. Well over 100 million. And when those school-age aliens grow up, they will then be adults. So now we're talking about 60 million 
more workers. For what job market? This is a roughly 30% increase in the U.S. population overnight. And both parties keep talking about it. Oh, we got to get together. We got to solve the immigration crisis. How? Well, I guess we got to bring in 100 million more immigrants. This is an act of national suicide. What would happen to our hospitals? Stop and think about it. What would happen to our hospitals? You think the Titanic's lifeboats were overwhelmed? I don't even want to imagine what it would be like. This is what both parties want. How many times do you hear it? We need comprehensive immigration reform. And the Democrats say, and we need to put them on a path to citizenship. And the Republicans say, oh, we're tough. No citizenship for them, just lawful status. Really? Does it matter? And by the way, if an alien who gets lawful status marries an American, he can become a citizen anyway. But this is all BS. This is good cop, bad cop. They're on the same side. And they're opposed to us, we the people. They're opposed to those lawful immigrants who came properly, making now a mockery of the system that we used to revere so much. My mother came here legally. My dad's parents came legally. My first wife, may she rest in peace. Her parents were in the Holocaust. They came legally. We're going to make a mockery of the system and flood America potentially with over 100 million new lawful immigrants. Look at the overwhelmed hospitals, the lack of, of um, ventilators, the lack of meds, the lack of everything. And then we find out that China is where the meds are coming from, and they threaten to cut them off. We've painted ourselves into a box. Why? Campaign contributions, contributions, which, by the way, are bribes. Let's call the damn things what they are. Because of these grants to universities, so you have professors selling out because they give them enough money. This is that TV game show, you know, The Price is Right. huh? This isn't xenophobia to speak out against an act of national suicide. This is common sense. As we're struggling with the current outbreak, please understand the dangers we face and how overwhelmed the system is. But this isn't a new problem. Back on February 24, 1998, the Senate Judiciary Committee, Subcommittee on Terrorism and Intelligence, held a hearing about foreign terrorists operating in the United States of America. One of the people who was at the hearing was Senator Dianne Feinstein from California. After 9-11, her folks were talking with me regularly. We were on the phone. They were very concerned. How she flipped to where she is, how her whole party flipped to where it is, is something I will never begin to even fathom. Senator Feinstein made such a compelling case for the absolute need for effective immigration law enforcement out of concern to terrorism. And yet the leadership, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Bernie Sanders, open borders, amnesty, the whole nine yards. Let's forget about America's borders. Borders, we don't need no stinking borders. What I want to read to you this evening, folks, is an excerpt from the prepared statement that Senator Feinstein offered at that hearing three and a half years before 9-11. It was two days short of the fifth anniversary of the 93 bombing at the World Trade Center that predicated the hearing. And I will remind you that that 
bombing killed six innocent people, injured over a thousand people, created over a half billion in damages to that iconic complex of buildings in Manhattan, almost brought one of the towers down sideways. I don't even want to imagine what the casualty count would have been. The terrorists, when they were arrested, said that their goal was to kill 250,000 people. And engineers that I've spoken with said that had the tower gone sideways, that might have been a realistic casualty count, 250,000 people. And every one of those aliens involved had gamed the immigration system, including Mahmoud Abu Alima, who had planted the bomb in the garage, who claimed agricultural amnesty, authored by Chuck Schumer and signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. We don't learn the lessons of the past. We really don't. Listen to the Democratic Party. And where's the Republican Party demanding more ICE agents, making sure the immigration system has integrity? They don't want that. I keep making the point that I'll make it every chance I can. The immigration system is not failing. The immigration system is the most successful system in the federal government. If you see it the way that the Congress and their bribers see it, it's the most effective delivery system. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. I assure you, exploitation is not the way you demonstrate compassion. As a consequence, wages are suppressed. Americans lose their jobs, and homelessness goes through the roof. You don't believe it? Look at San Francisco. Look at New York City. The more people that need apartments, the greater the demand on real estate Supply and demand ejects the prices through the roof. More people live in tighter spaces. And in New York, Mayor de Blasio wants to have a change in the zoning laws so people can live in basements and garages and what he calls small houses and backyards. I guess it's a tool shed? Yeah, keep six feet of separation. Lots of luck. Think about that. The immigration system also delivers an unlimited supply of foreign tourists foreign students, as we're finding out, and for the immigration lawyers out there, both political parties, an unlimited supply of clients, clients. Everyone makes out literally like a bandit, except we the people get shafted. But I want you to understand what Diane Feinstein had to say at that hearing three and a half years before 9-11 about her concern about the nexus between immigration and terrorism and the education of foreign students in the United States. It all comes together in a nice little package. At the beginning of her statement, she talked about counterterrorism efforts and, and said that we wanted to add tagants to explosives uh, where it's safe and feasible and to aid law enforcement in solving bombing incidents, to strengthen the controls of enforcement against biological agents and pathogens and so on. These are her words. There were also a number of glaring loopholes in our immigration laws. As I serve on the Immigration Subcommittee, I just wanted to spend my time touching on some of them. This is, again, Diane Feinstein's statement. I have some reservation regarding the practice of issuing visas to terrorist-supporting countries and the INS inability to track those who come into the country either using a student visa or using fraudulent documents, as you pointed out, through the Visa Waiver Pilot Program. Back then, the visa waiver program was a pilot program. She talks about tracking. But even back then, Diane couldn't say, and we need more agents so if people go missing, we can play the game of hide-and-seek. Even back then, Diane Feinstein wanted to track them, but if you can't find them, don't worry about it. So they'll play hide-and-seek, they'll hide, we won't seek, but don't worry. We'll just keep statistics, I guess. I have no idea. But the point was 
what she said about the practice of issuing visas to terrorist-supporting countries is almost exactly what President Trump said. And Trump said it after 9-11 and after a string of other terrorist attacks in the United States and around the world. But when Dianne Feinstein said it back in 1998, nobody rioted, nobody fainted, nobody screamed, and nobody sued. They just said, sure, that sounds rational. President Trump says it, and he's evil, and he's the embodiment of Satan. Interesting, isn't it? But it gets worse, much, much, much worse. So let's continue on. Again, this is Dianne Feinstein's statement, not mine, hers. I would actually agree with most of it. So she says this. The Richmond Times recently reported that the mastermind of Saddam Hussein's germ warfare arsenal, Rehab Taha, studied in England on a student visa. And England is one of the participating countries in the visa waiver pilot program, which means if she could have gotten a fraudulent pass, she could have come and gone without a visa in the United States. The article also says, now she's saying this, I'm not, you know, her quote was the article referencing the Richmond Times. The article also says that Rehab Taha, also known as, you'll like this, folks, Dr. Germ, that her professors at the University of East Anglia in Norwich, England, speculate that she, that is Dr. Germ, may have been sent to the West specifically to gain knowledge on biological weaponry. Interesting isn't it? But we don't need to enforce our immigration laws. We don't need no stinking visas, right? Ask Joe Biden. Ask the leaders, so-called, of the Democratic Party. Ask Nancy. Ask Chuck. Right? She goes on and says this, and this will really blow your mind what's coming next. What is even more disturbing is that this is happening in our own backyard. The Washington Post reported on October 31st, 1991, that U.N. weapons inspectors in Iraq discovered documents detailing an Iraqi government strategy to send students to the United States and other countries to specifically study nuclear-related subjects to develop their own program. Samir al-Araji was one of the students who received his doctorate in nuclear engineering from Michigan State University and then returned to Iraq to head its nuclear weapons program. The Washington Institute for Near Eastern Policy found in September 1997 that many terrorist-supporting states are sending their students to the United States to get training in chemistry, physics, and engineering, which could potentially contribute to their home country's missile and nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons programs. Yet the State Department often does not do in-depth background checks on the students, and once they are in the United States, the INS has no ability to track the students to make certain they actually study the subjects they came to study and attend the schools they said they would attend. By the way, that you can't do background checks on those countries that were on the list that the president created, and that was the issue. Not that they're Muslim-majority countries like Chris Coons, a senator from Pennsylvania, alleges on his website, because the Democrats wanted to change the immigration law, taking from the president discretionary authority to bar the entry of aliens into the United States, that it would have to be done with congressional approval. Really? Really? They ought to read Feinstein's statements. She goes on and says this. 
between 1991 and 1996, the statement that the State Department has issued about 9,700 student visas to students from terrorist-supporting states such as Iran, Iraq, Libya, Sudan, and Syria to attend undergraduate and graduate studies in the United States. Additionally, a survey done by the Institute of International Education indicates that most students from terrorist-supporting countries major in the sciences. And here's the percentages. These are the percentages of the students who majored in the sciences from these countries. 71% from Iran. Think of Iran's nuclear program, boys and girls, huh? 65% Iraq, 47% Libya, 53% Sudan, 68% Syria. The IEE, should be actually IIE, the Institute for International Education Survey, also estimates that 4.6% of students from Iran and 10.5% students from Iraq are funded by their government to study in the United States. Unbelievable. Currently, the State Department does not do any special background checks, and she goes on. Now, let me, let me get to this part. The defendants of the World Trade Center bombing, that's, after all, why they had this hearing, are also an example of those coming in through non-immigrant or employment-based visas or abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. Political asylum is now the sacred cow of the Democratic Party. How dare you not allow refugees into the United States? Let me read the sentence again. Diane Feinstein thinks she's a Democrat, okay? The defendants of the World Trade Center bombing are also an example of those coming in through non-immigrant or employment-based visas or abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. For instance, Nadal Ayad, one of the defendants in this case, the bombing of the Trade Center in 1993, you're going to love this, folks, used his position as a chemical engineer for Allied Signal to obtain the chemicals used in the World Trade Center bombing. There is Ghazi Abu Mazer, who was arrested in a suspected terrorist plot to detonate bombs in Brooklyn last year. He came in illegally across the Canadian border to Washington State and attempted to seek asylum. But he withdrew his application and agreed to leave the country. Once he was released on voluntary departure, he said, I promise I'll leave. They said, okay, see ya. Don't forget to go. And he walked out the door. However... He fled Washington to Brooklyn, where he was arrested for plotting suicide bomb attacks in Brooklyn. Okay? Do you understand the risks that we're facing? Are you listening to the politicians? This is dangerous. The coronavirus is deadly. Thankfully, it doesn't kill a large percentage of those who contract it. Thankfully. Imagine if it was a biological weapon like Ebola that kills the great majority of the people who become infected. I don't even want to imagine what the death count would be, folks. In New York, and we're the hot spot, probably in large measure because everyone lives on top of everybody in New York. You don't have six inches of separation. Six feet of separation is a dream. For those of you who live in rural America, you have no idea. You can't even walk on the sidewalk. It's people to people crushed against each other. You can get your suit pressed by going for a walk in New York. By the time you get a couple of blocks through all those people leaning up against you, your suit's either wrinkled, torn, or pressed, one or the other. That's how jammed together we are. We're sardines in a sardine can. 
just like in the subways. You have people that want to add to the United States another 100 million people. Brilliant. Absolutely damn brilliant. But it's overwhelming our systems. It's overwhelming our systems. And no one asks these questions. Nobody cares. It's like being a flying coach in an airplane, but they take away the room between the seats altogether. So you put your seats up on the chair and put your knees in your mouth. If they could get away with it, they would. I promise you they would. If they could get away with it, they'd make you share an air mask, the oxygen mask, if there's an emergency, and probably put quarters in the slot. We have businessmen today who have no scruples. They look at people and they just say, money. Not all. There are some decent companies out there. I don't want to make generalities. But there's enough bad actors and there's enough politicians who do their bidding because they're bribed. They're bribed through campaign contributions. Any politician who cared about America or Americans or the future of our nation would look at this lunacy and say, this has to stop. By the way, President Trump is pretty much doing that. And look at the way he's being attacked from both sides. I've never seen anything like this. My parents could never have imagined this happening to the country. They've been gone for over 50 years. This is certainly not the America that I was born into. This is such a distortion of America, I don't know where to begin. And of course, the other side is going to say, oh, Cutler's a xenophobe, he's a this, he's a that. No, folks, I'm not. I'll tell you what I am. I'm a father and I'm a grandfather. I am petrified about the future of my children. I'm petrified about the future of my grandchildren and, God willing, their children. We've taken a beautiful country and we're demolishing it. We're demolishing it. I look at the Democrats and the games they're playing, and I understand what they're doing. This goes along with their ideology. It's about pushing the country to the radical left. My dad was right when he said to me, if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. If you destroy the middle class, it's not just about importing more voters. And certainly they'd be importing lots of voters with comprehensive reform, maybe 100 million. But you're also pushing most Americans who are here now to the left because increasingly the cost of housing, the cost of everything is going through the roof. So you're going to be looking for the politician who offers you subsidies, will give you help. Sure thing. Right. You understand the strategy. Ultimately, they want a one-party country. I'm absolutely convinced of it. That means a massive change in America. If you want to build a building on land that's been used previously, what do you have to do? You have to demolish that which is there now. So you bring in the demolition crew, and once they cart off the debris, then you can build your new building. That's what I believe they're trying to do to America. And where are the Republicans? Too busy placating the Chamber of Commerce and other people offering them those campaign contributions that they need in order to successfully run for office. That's where we are today. That's just the reality. I mean, you don't need to be a genius to see it. The warning in Dianne Feinstein's testimony is crystal clear, isn't it? And there's many other hearings with many other statements and much more evidence that all point in the same direction. Time and time and time and time and time again, we've had terrorists come to the United States. There are others, many others, who got PhDs, 
studied biology, studied chemistry, studied nuclear physics, and were terrorists. We have been educating the people who want to kill us. There was an article that I wrote a while back where on an undercover tape, one of these terrorists in a university in the United States jokingly said that they should call his college Jihad University. Why? Because he said the idiot Americans are teaching him how he could do what he needs to do to attack us. When the Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier, which was just commissioned, was under construction, I believe that one of the people that was involved with espionage was from Egypt. And he joked with an undercover FBI agent that he can believe America was that stupid that they let foreign nationals work on a top-secret aircraft carrier and have access to all kinds of insensitive information that he was trying to peddle to the Middle East so they could blow up our aircraft carrier. And he thought, huh. Look at these idiots. They let me on board. Ha, ha, look what I know. And he was bragging about how they could easily sink the aircraft carrier with information. Fortunately, the terrorist he thought he was talking to turned out to be an undercover FBI agent. There's a program that's going to be on, um, I think, uh, tomorrow morning, early Saturday morning, 2 a.m. East Coast time on Verizon on the Smithsonian Channel. They're going to be rerunning it, the spies next door, about how Russia – set up a spy network across America and the FBI took it down. It's worth watching. We're under a constant threat from our enemies who do not have our best interests at heart. They want to dominate the world. They want to supplant the United States. They want to impose their iron-fisted rule on the world. All that stands between them and that nefarious goal is a strong United States of America. You know, we have a saying in law enforcement, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean you're not being followed. It is crystal clear that we have some very serious adversaries, and we've been playing footsie with them. China is a glaring example. We need to wake up. We need to make politicians accountable. We need to make certain that they get to find out that we're not the idiots that they hoped that we were. We need to have conversations with our neighbors, with our friends, with the folks you work with, low-key, no screaming. We need to respect each other, but the facts, ladies and gentlemen, speak for themselves. You see, if you just look at the facts, the facts, the truth, the law, common sense, morality, they are all on our side. Please check out my articles at Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. By the way, I have to tell you, I'm very excited about this. Dennis Michael Lynch, um, DML News, has just issued a documentary, They Come to America, Part 4, The Cost of Politics. I am in that documentary. It is on Amazon. Check it out. I hope you will buy it and pass it along. This is about being part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth so that as many Americans can understand the seriousness of our immigration laws, our borders, and the way that we need to hold our politicians accountable. That is the job all Americans must do. I wish all of you a very happy Passover, a happy Easter. Stay safe. Be well. And please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a good weekend.